Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, sunshines. You are listening to the Evolvepreneur After Hours podcast, and I am your host, Christine Calvarapin, and my mission is to help entrepreneurs make a difference. It's all about navigating that messy middle of startup, growth, reinvention, launch, plot twists, and everything in between. Join us today as we dig deep with our guest, get to know the best concepts, strategies will help you fast track your business, keep the conversation of the entrepreneur journey real. Today's guest, and I'm super excited, is Jaime, and Natasha is his last name. I'm super excited because he has a really fascinating story. He was raised in Mexico, but grew up in Southern California. He's been in the U.S. a long time, but always felt really connected to where his origins started. He was keen to give back and running a successful business. He really had in the back of his heart and mind a way to connect the two. He is a marketing strategist who's been interested in helping communities. He's got a huge heart of a volunteer and he has a degree in business. So he's a smart guy thinking about how do I make an impact? His first business was a marketing agency called Bluminary nine years ago. He started this chapter, but as he got busier, he started to struggle with the balance of volunteerism and keeping focused on his business. He decided to hire a virtual assistant and started to find that that was harder than he imagined. And eventually that led to a recognition of a new business opportunity. He founded Latinos Virtual, which, excuse me, Virtual Latinos, and he started to recruit and bring people in to help businesses throughout North America. It's a really fascinating story. Welcome to our program. I am super curious. Thank you so much. Serial entrepreneur background. Did you have as a young man that you would become an entrepreneur? I was definitely hoping to. I wasn't necessarily so sure because, you know, entrepreneurship is very hard. Statistically, most people fail. And I'm a guy who doesn't like to fail. Uh, yet, I grew up seeing both my grandfather and my father uh, start and fail, let's say, or close down some businesses and then start other ones. So definitely knew that it was possible, even if it would be hard. Um, so I knew I wanted to eventually start something. But I didn't necessarily think that it was going to be like my full-time, let's say, job. I thought maybe I had something on the site. I sort of wasn't on the site while well, I had full-time jobs by being a freelance web graphic designer. Uh, but yeah, I'm happy that today, you know, it comes with both its great benefits and great challenges, you know, be your own boss, be an entrepreneur, but I'm very happy that chosen this path and that I was able to succeed so far. Yeah, I'm always fascinated because it, it is a journey that most don't have the courage to jump into. And I always actually thought that being an entrepreneur was more about risk diversification because you knew you could bet on yourself. But when you go into this path of, I have an idea, and the difference between a side hustle and a full-on commitment Take us through the journey when you decided to push off from the shore and go, nope, this isn't a side hustle. How did that happen? Sure. Like a speeding light bulb or was it? No, no, no definitely to the design. So I used to work with my father for many years. Uh, eventually in 2012 or 2011, I decided to leave the States and go uh, to study an MBA. So I got a master's in business in Israel. And while being in Israel, um, I went to lots of networking events where I saw lots of people basically networking for business. And I was just impressed with how many of the people that I met either were already entrepreneurs 
were working to build up a startup or had already failed and were trying to do another one. In fact, I even felt like, man, it's weird. I feel like everybody only cares if I'm an entrepreneur or have a startup. Uh, maybe some listeners know or not that, you know, there's a book called Startup Nation that talks all about, you know, how to build a big startup country. So that, that combined with all my, you know, family back to entrepreneurship really kind of pushed me to come back and, you know, start something. But the reality is that when I got back from the MBA, I started full-time, uh, short periods of time work. So they were definitely full-time, but they were project-based, let's say, jobs. And so I, I did one for a few months and another one for a few months. And I still had my freelance like side hustle where I was doing websites, graphic design for other clients. And then eventually, like, you know, obviously it's best if I'm able to do a team, I mean, build a team so that I can actually help lots of people and not just one single company. So I said, you know, like, let's just try it. I'm obviously going to start by myself, which is kind of the same thing that I'm doing, but I'm going to actually, you know, register our actual legal entity, start being legit. And that's what I did. And actually the way that this whole, I'm going to start a company and an actual company with a team started was because I actually joined the co-working space that was really a co-working space, not a typical WeWork that people just rent space. It was like a really strange two-story house where it was like a natural dining room and there was like a big 12 or 14 person table. And we actually all sat together on the same table. Uh, I was in a big place and we literally started chatting and actually working. And once I met a graphic designer, I hired her. And then I met a social media person and I hired her. And as I had the more members I met, the more people I hired and they started building my own team. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I can focus on like sales and marketing and building the website for the business. And then now, now I have people who I can rely on to help me do the work. And so that's kind of how I started the marketing agency. And eventually I hired different people. I kept hiring more people. Um, so that's kind of how I started. Not really exactly with a perfect plan. Uh, the reality also for my case is that I had zero money to invest. The only thing I could invest was my time and you know my skills. So I never went to get any money from my family uh, the only money, let's say that I invested was from my own, whether it was to pay for hosting for a website or whatever I needed, but you know, that's obviously relatively cheap because you, you happen to have the skills to build marketing stuff, to start a business. It's good. Right. So mm-hmm. I knew that I had that as a positive thing to work on because, uh, through lots of different experiences, I had learned that you could totally test out a business without building it. Right. Just. Test out if there's somebody that's interested, right? Just put up a landing page, a website, find a way to drive traffic to it. And if people are interested, you can know that in advance before you start spending all this time and money making it happen. Um, so for me, that part had already kind of started because I had many freelance clients for many years. So I wasn't that afraid that I would get more uh, business. Um, so I did start by spending like about almost a year planning everything for this new business, like as a business, new website, new branding, brand new uh, graphic design for the, for the thing, business cards, you name it, the whole thing. I'm a guy who tends to like to be really prepared before I started anything. So that's kind of what I did. And then eventually I launched the website and I started to market, right? That's kind of, kind of how I got started. I'll give more details about it. You-, you know, I love this because this, this is something I think people miss. And, and I, I know we can be preparing to plan and preparing to plan all of us high-driven achievers like to plan, like to have a map. Uh, yeah. But it's interesting that you say, because this is a really good, important thing, certainly for our audience, is you, know, you can test 
market yourself with very little dollars. You do need to to test your ideas to say, does this resonate? Does this land with somebody? Because at the end of the day, you are looking for someone to exchange dollars or any currency you like for the service. And so you immediately started to look at hiring people, which I think is fascinating because I think sometimes that's the hardest bit for a solopreneur to start is going, uh, bringing in a team. Obviously, your business today is all about team. But what were the big mistakes you made early on when you started to go, I need other people? What were the mistakes you made early? Yeah. So basically, my family always told me, hi, man, you are wasting or investing too much time on making the site, the website perfect, perfect graphics and the perfect text and the perfect landing page. Like you're going to spend more time selling and less time designing so you can get out there and get more clients. You know, you need to get more sales, not the best website. So I, I basically realized that I was spending too much time thinking about the business inside and less time, let's say, you know, gathering more clients. And obviously I realized that, you know, I couldn't do this by myself. And even though I love building websites and doing the design myself, which I knew how to do, I knew there was no way to grow it as an actual business. I was going to stay a freelance, in this case, business, as opposed to a proper company that's going to grow. And I mean, I'm a guy that is both an entrepreneur, which usually means I like risk, but the reality is that I don't like risk. I hate risk. (laughs) So... Uh, um, I really struggled in hiring people because the biggest risk for me was like, are these people going to help me keep my brand and the quality of what I do same way as I do? And like, I'm sure many entrepreneurs think nobody can do it as good as you. And that's probably true. And I still think it's true in many cases, but not all cases. Like when you hire the right people, people do it better than you, especially if they're specialized. Uh, so I just wanted to basically jump and said, you know, the worst that can happen is they're going to mess up. I stop working with these people and I keep doing it either myself or find somebody else. I just knew that I had to take the the jump into hiring someone with the potential of that misrepresenting me and my brand. But in fact, it was a positive experience because the first person I hired was an actual graphic designer. I never studied graphic design. Obviously, they were better than me. And then the social media person, that was like her only specialty. So better than me. So... Uh, yeah, it was actually positive to see that people more experienced than me were actually helping me build company better, right? Yeah, this is this. I love this, and this is such an important one because what, two things that really strike gold right now from what you said is one is I did know that if I only wanted to deliver the skill, that I was better being a freelancer than a business owner because that is when you're trading your skill for your dollar, and yet when you decided nope. To really run and scale to live the life I want, I'm not going to be in the weeds. I know I can be, but I don't want to be. There's a big shift that happens there on the journey of entrepreneurship. But second to that, it's like I need to bring in specialists who are something great that I am not great at. And I think sometimes that can be a light bulb that goes off, but it's a huge leap of faith. Because when you hire a specialist and you don't know what they're great at, Sometimes you can abdicate responsibility because you're like, well, you're the expert. I don't know. And I just pay pay you to do that. And sometimes that can be beautiful. And sometimes you can find a disaster on the other side because you don't have a good way to check and balance. Is it delivered for you? Did you ever experience that in your story? And what did you change in your next hire to minimize that risk? 
Yeah. So, you know, I started hiring the things that I wasn't, let's say, an expert on, like graphic design or social media and other stuff that I knew how to do, but I knew that I wasn't necessarily the best at it because that not, it wasn't my main focus. I started doing web design since I was 17, like a long time ago, actually coding like in HTML before there was WordPress and all of these easy to use tools. <laughs> so I knew how to do websites and that was something that I knew that I had to stop doing because it took a long time. So I did went through hiring a couple of different, you know, freelancers who helped me do the website, but they were just really not as good as me in making sure that quality was good, the process that I created. And I wanted them to follow what's followed, like I told them. So I struggled. But eventually I found someone who worked with me till today uh, that was really great, super friendly, um, totally an entrepreneur himself. So it really, we really met. You know, he wasn't just doing this to get paid. He knew that he wanted to work with me also on the long term. And so, yeah, when I knew, when I finally found someone that I could trust almost 100%, mm-hmm. and I knew that whatever I sent him for work, he was going to do just as me. It really, really changed my business because I totally stopped worrying and micromanaging the work and focused more on the customer support and customer success side of the business and spending more time in, you know, consulting with clients and helping them, uh, which is really the true value that I was bringing to my clients because I had all this experience working with already a few different small businesses, right? Um, but as a whole, I can tell you that I still think that the, the marketing agency in a way failed because I was still the generalist. I offered web marketing, social media, all these different services except video um, to any company that was mullet in any industry. I never chose to focus on some specific industry or just some specific part of marketing. And I did definitely realize after lots of events and networking that I had to choose a specialty. But I just didn't want to because I really wanted to help anybody. And I knew I still could help anybody. Um, but in the end, that was like marketing to anyone and no one, right? So that was, I think, my biggest lesson out of not choosing either a specific marketing niche or a specific industry. And so when I started the new company, Virtual Latinos, which is technically not a legal different entity, still run under the marketing agency, I knew that whatever new thing I was going to come up with had to have a specialty. <laughs> so um, the specialty in this case was virtual assistants from Latin America, right? Um, so yeah, I, we, we still do lots of really cool things the way that I like to do things in terms of really high quality service. But that specialty now has definitely helped us uh, niche down the type of people that we attract as clients, as well as the type of people we serve. But still right now, we also help lots of managers. This is an interesting one because I know that I said as an entrepreneur, a lot of us have this very visceral reaction to no, I don't want a niche. I, I and and we do like and and that that is the biggest oxymoron I know from from my business as a as a business coach who helps people actually create successful, thriving, scaling global businesses, is nobody's looking for a generalist. Not to say that you don't have spillover business and you can serve people on more than one way, but they got out of bed for a specific problem. You need to be able to connect and for them to find you at the solution to the death you know, to that very specific custom product. And I know that your business has really grown at an accelerated rate. Yeah. And I want to know if that's been intentional or if it feels a little bit like it's out of control. Yeah, definitely like intentional, not exactly to this level, like that quickly, because uh, in fact, my father works with me and he's a person who's very opposite. 
uh, to me compared uh, when it comes to taking risks. He likes to take crazy risks, which you know has helped many things in my life. But I'm completely the opposite. So even though we've grown a lot, if it was up to my dad being, let's say, in my shoes to run the business, we would have tried to grow like ten times bigger. But for me, quality is so important, and so I've always had to, you know, talk my dad down on me like, hey. Yes, we want to grow, but like, we're not going to grow like crazy just to grow. We want to grow and we be consistent and making sure that we're always keeping the quality of the service because otherwise if we lose that, we lose, you know, what makes us special. So, I mean, COVID has definitely, in my specific case, helped grow much faster than I thought because when everybody started working remotely, uh, it became very accepted for people to start hiring people to work from their house, right? So at this point, like many businesses would never try remote working. Uh, and for some reason or another, let's say they, they let go of some of their staff uh, or they needed more staff, they were open to the idea of hiring somebody outside the United States, right, uh, to save a lot of money. So COVID definitely helped make, make it more normal and okay to hire somebody that's not inside your office. So that helped really explode the growth from both sides. Clients were willing to hire and people around America were willing to work. And I think that was the biggest thing because let's say that in Latin America, it's very, very old school. I mean, if it wasn't for COVID, remote work would have not, maybe never uh, explored as it has exploded today. It's interesting because I always find the virtual assistant world fascinating because I have, a, I have coached virtual assistants. I have people in my network that are virtual assistants. And there is a universal truth that, yes, as an entrepreneur, you cannot wear all hats. You do need to outsource. You do need a smart partnership. But there is this massive disconnect between I need one and I can't find one. And your own business spark came from the fact that, well, you also were that place. I know I need it. I can't find somebody. And I keep being ghosted or I can't follow through. And it's very hard for me to trust. And so I'm, I'm curious about how are you bridging this gap? Because I see it all the time. I said, God, honestly, virtual assistants should not be struggling for work. I know a hundred people that need your work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There is this massive disconnect as my observation. Sure. You have your own journey as an entrepreneur. Yeah. How do you bridge the gap? Because sure. I think there's magic here. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a very picky guy in general when it comes to being let's say somebody like a customer. I'm a really picky customer. In fact, my friend, somebody make fun of me that I'm a, one of the hardest clients when it comes to buying from someone, right? Because I like my research. I expect certain things. I want to uh, do a lot of uh, research before I commit to something. Let's say I don't take as much risk. So when I finally did decide to hire uh, an assistant, I was just following a book I read, uh, Virtual Freedom, uh, that basically spelled out in very specific detail how to hire somebody in the Philippines. In this case, not through an agency, but on your own. So I said, of course, I'm going to hire on my own. I don't want to go through an agency because I want to make sure that I learn also through the process. I didn't expect that it was going to take that long, uh, but it was quite partly, I mean, mostly my fault because, again, I was really creating lots of lists of the exact tasks that I needed. I would spend time writing down exactly every process that I wanted to follow. Uh, I did lots of interviews with lots of people because I wanted to find the best possible person. I wasn't going to just, you know, I definitely, let's say, didn't trust them, right? They were in the Philippines so far away from me, never worked with people in the Philippines. I had no idea how the culture is, if they're responsible, if they're going to show up on time. And all of my fears kind of came true. 
people didn't show up on, plan, on time. People, uh, I paid them and they scanned me and ghosted me. Other people left me within a few months to get paid an extra dollar an hour. Uh, many problems with the internet. I'm like, this is a nightmare. Now, I know this is not that typical necessarily because hundreds of probably thousands of businesses outsourced uh, worked in the Philippines. So obviously they're doing something great. Uh, but in my personal experience, based on my type of personality, it was horrible. Uh, and I also, let's say, had bad luck. But that bad luck really just pushed me to be like, okay, this is not going to work. I, I, I don't want to keep working. Things are too far away. There's too many issues. And I'm from Mexico City. I live in San Diego. The border at the time was like 20 minutes drive from where I live. I've been to Tijuana, Mexico, you know, several times. I'm like, I got to be able to find, you know, some Mexicans to help me with my marketing agency. And I was only looking for digital marketers. Um, so... You know, long story short, I went, I looked, and I talked to people who know Tijuana, and they basically told me, listen, there's not a lot of marketers in Tijuana, not a huge, huge city, and there's no big, you know, big brand companies here for, that require that type of skill. Even though there's a lot of manufacturing and big businesses, there's manufacturing, and then there's software development. But let's say the marketers and the salespeople, they're at some HQ in some other city in Mexico or in the U.S. They're not... The marketers are not in Tijuana, so basically... <laughs> they're remote. <laughs> yeah, they're working somewhere else. So I ended up hiring a graphic designer, and I trained her to be like assistant, and that worked out okay for about a year. And then she also left me for a big company that was like Europe or something, a multinational. So I couldn't compete in terms of what they were paying her. And so I went to Upwork. I'm like, okay, I'm definitely not going to go back to the Philippines. I got to figure out another way. And at the time, I basically saw that there's only one company still exists today, you assist me. That's from El Salvador. And their business model back then, it was a simple, a single place where everybody worked out of. So it was still like the call center model where everybody worked from an office, but they did work as virtual assistants. But that was kind of it. I was not trying to start a business. I just wanted to hire an assistant for me in Latin America. Uh, when I went to Upwork, the prices were like too high compared to the Philippines. And I was still going to have to go through the Hassan room interviewing them myself and that whole thing so yeah i was basically at a point where i'm like okay so what, I, what do i do i still need to hire people for my team and to begin with let me make a pause the whole reason i wanted to start hiring virtual assistants is because i didn't want to raise my prices for my marketing agency when i had to make more money so i decided to lower my costs that was the the, the big reason the reason i don't want to raise my prices is because if i did i wasn't going to be helping small businesses anymore because I was going to price out the really small businesses that need a help. So that's why I started to say, okay, I got to stop paying people in the U.S. They're too expensive. I got to lower my costs. So uh, kind of uh, long story short, I realized after doing lots of research that there was not the company that I was looking for to hire virtually assistant Latin America that were, in this case, pre-vetted. I didn't want to go through the hire-on-your-own model anymore. Uh, but instead, which is really ridiculous, I ended up copying the Filipino job portal which was a portal not an agency and that's how i started virtual latinos by actually creating a job portal uh and the big difference here is that i did personally vet every assistant that we posted i love that yeah this is this is the biggest hack out there and so if you're a neural entrepreneur listening to this episode i want you to know the biggest hack out there is to model success that comes before you you know, it is about going and not necessarily always reinventing the wheel but looking at good execution applying the learnings 
and turning it into something that you feel falls, falls on Market Nation. You were testing this out. So I'm curious, you've had this really accelerated growth. You've now found yourself with a business that is flying. And I said, and, and market I know is hot for sure, yeah, just keep it with my lens. But what is the biggest roadblock that's facing you in the next 12 months? Yeah, so I, I will answer that question, but let me, I guess, tell you that even though I was modeling a business that was very successful in the Philippines, which was a job portal, that ended up also not working out because I wasn't making up money. Right? Mm -hmm. That model only charged a one-time fee for posting a job, like in B, something like that. And I was charging 50 bucks once to get access to this pre-vetted community that I spent lots of hours pre-vetting. Uh, so then I changed that business model to charging 50 bucks a month. But they, but the actual clients still hire these people directly. So the biggest change that really succeeded was actually doing what I didn't want to do myself in terms of hiring an agency. I built an agency where we're a little bit, but I realized I spent too much time giving people support for how to use the job portal, how to write a job post, how to interview people. So I'm like, really, I'm spending too much time. It's not worth 50 bucks. I'm going to do it all for them. And then I'm going to charge them and make them more commission, right? Which is what the agency does. So anyways, that's the, the change I ended up uh, doing that really, really started boosting in the business uh, for a lot of time. Now, to answer your question, you know, what are the biggest challenges in the next 12 months? In my personal opinion, in the personal industry that we're on, which in this case, let's call it virtual assistants, specifically in Latin America, the biggest challenge is getting uh, people that are qualified in terms of skills for what the American market is looking for. And I'll explain what that means. Uh, I do believe that because in the Philippines, the market of virtual assistants had, has been in existence for so many decades now that lots of virtual assistants in the Philippines speak great English, have lots of US-based, let's say, marketing-specific skills or sales skills. They already have a lot of those skills that American companies are looking for that Latin America lacks for the most part. Like, I'll give you an example. People are coming to us and they're like, hey, can you... Can you help me find a virtual assistant to help me with my Amazon store or my Shopify e-commerce store? And we practically always tell them we can't because the reality is we almost basically never find people who have these skills in Latin America. And those who have it usually work for already big American, let's say, big corporations, right? They're not other to be VAs. So the biggest challenge is basically teaching these skills to the assistants through a new platform that we're creating called the Virtual Latinos Academy, where we're going to basically build courses either on our own or partnering with other companies to help us create courses to help these people basically get the skills our clients are looking for. This, this is all about the story of the dominoes. Uh, I, I love how you, you've come from that. I didn't, I didn't imagine I would be an entrepreneur, but it was in my genes to the first business to, if I don't, if I want to really grow, I can't be directly front row. I need to start expanding a team and then saying, if I don't see it, I need to build it. And that seems to be a repeating theme for you. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, in general, for me, building a business is obviously hard because I don't really want to do new things. New things are hard. And I'm going to give you the example that when I worked with my dad for years, we always thought about, you know, we got to come up with some e-commerce store to sell, you know, before Amazon was big, you know, to sell on eBay or sell on our own store. And, you know, we got a lot, we had so many ideas all the time, but I always killed almost every idea, basically all of them, which is why we didn't start any e-commerce based business. I was just never finding something unique enough or 
interesting enough for me to spend my time into building, right? So finally, when I realized that there was this opportunity to focus on virtual assistants from Latin America that didn't really exist, I'm like, okay, this could be something. And the only reason I tried it, and this is going to be good for every listener, is that at the time, my marketing agency was stable enough where I was charging clients, had my team doing the work, and I wasn't trying to, let's say, get more, too many new clients. So I had some free time. Uh, in this case, I used that free time by not having to worry about making money because I had you know, now ongoing marketing campaigns where they were paying me a check every month. I basically had the time to basically test this idea, right? So because, again, I had the skills in doing websites and marketing, I set up a one-page landing page to attract assistance. I ran some. I read some ads to find people, and I said, you know, let's try. And if I start getting assistance applying, then the next step is I'm going to see if I can do the same by attracting clients. And yeah, you know, shortly after a few months, I'm like, okay, this might go somewhere, right? So, I mean, I invested less than five grand to get this whole thing set up initially. And then once I realized there was a, an opportunity, then I started, you know, investing more time in money. I love it, guys. That's, this is an awesome way to, to, to just end, end our discussion here because I will tell you, you've got to free up space to think yeah. in your business. This is essential. And I know this is one of the hardest things. This is my message this morning on my own, my own platforms with guys. Know it's a complete sentence. Audit your time. Find free space to think because your next great idea might be just in front of you if you only could hit pause to see it, test it, and then watch it accelerate. It's been super fun to have you as our guest. Jaime, I really appreciate it. This is an wrap, guys. This is the episode from Evolpreneur After Hours. But before you go, a couple of things to wrap up here. If you love this episode and loved hearing the stories of our entrepreneurial community, please, we'd be grateful for a five-star review. Also consider recommending a great entrepreneur you know as our next guest. Be sure to subscribe. See future episodes here at the Evolve Where After Hours community. And until next time, if you're an entrepreneur, find that space to go create your next great idea, test it, execute it, and just imagine the possibilities. Thanks very much, guys. We will see you on our next episode.